Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from this palatial, undisclosed office building in downtown Chicago is Shelby Mongan. Shelby, how are you? I'm cold, Bill. It's, it, we've hit cold season, finally. We did. It happened almost literally overnight. Like, it was okay, and then it was like freezing rain and snow, and now winter is here. Yeah, I, I, very, I remember seeing the winter weather advisory and it when it was just sort of vaguely sprinkling outside and I was like ha ha whatever and then this happened and now it's like 20 degrees and everything is covered in ice and I fell for the first time this season this morning on the work I was okay I did a little split it was mostly my pride that was hurt I'm fine but I was like well check that off for the first of the season so later on I'll be talking with Gabriel Santos who is the developer and artist behind Stone Story RPG, a game that is expected to come out in early 2019. Ooh. But first, Shelby, you and I have to do some screen watching. Yes, we do. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? And for this week, we are going to tackle, I think, a favorite of both of ours, which is Gravity Falls. Indeed, it is is high up on my list of favorite cartoons that may or may not be technically for children. This is going to be season one, episode 10, Fight Fighters, originally aired September 14th, 2012. Now, uh, this one, like, a lot of times we'll do these episodes and it's like, oh, you know, there's like two minutes to talk about a video game. No, this is like all video games nonstop. Yeah, it is It is reference city in a really wonderful way. And I think funny because so the, most of the references are very specifically either about Street Fighter style one-on-one fighting games or, and I think for me the funnier references because they're less common, um, the side-scrolling... Um, arcade cabinets you typically played with, you know, up to four friends uh, running through the streets, pulling a chicken out of a, a trash can or a you break a barrel and there's a pipe. Um, but scrolling and doing battles and that sort of walk to the right and fight enemies sort of style. Yeah, lots of like genre specific jokes and then also even like more specific we resemble but are legally distinct from the like specific references to like Donkey Kong and Street Fighter 2 and stuff like that. So many, yeah, just so many good references. I love the entire the entire first section so they go into an arcade and all of the knockoff versions of the video games including um believe the hoedown hustle which is their ddr knockoff (laughs) yeah yeah um and um yeah the gags in that making those genre references again good references and stuff that another kind of funny this reminds me of the last time we were i was on here we talked about fairly odd parents references that are probably too old for some of the kids who are watching the show but are perfect references for like grown adults like us who are watching cartoons like this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um who ended up being i think a large part of the Gravity Falls fan base long term. But um, yeah, really some really tasty little references there. So let's just jump into the plot real fast. Uh, Dipper Pines, uh, one of the main characters of the show, is hanging out and playing video games with his crush, uh, Wendy Peppercorn. Ugh, total waifu material. She's pretty great. She's so good. I'm not going to try and tell you different. And it's also 
great that she's like voiced by Sam from Freaks and Geeks. Ugh. So it's like cross generational. Yeah, it's crushing. very very good. It's the fact that um the guy from Joan of Arcadia <laughs> you know, again, a oh, very yeah, relatable yeah. TV reference but um was has has a crush on on yeah, Sam from Freaks and Geeks is pretty clutch. And they're playing uh, a fighting game and then Wendy's boyfriend Ronnie comes by and like kind of busts on <laughs> Dipper and just like kicks him out. Which is like, it's the perfect role. So TJ Miller is somewhat of a problematic fave and has some issues for sure. But like the, his portrayal of Robbie is so good. And he's so he's such the exact dirtbag goth rocker kid that I would have had such a crush on in middle school. And I just, his character is great. And Dipper is having problems. And it's kind of something they explore throughout the series is like Dipper is 12 and like, Wendy and Ronnie are like 15 and uh, Ronnie like can basically physically dominate him. And yeah, they not, not like basically doesn't just word choice more than anything. They're, um, they're children. children. <laughs> well, he, he can bully him. He can, Ronnie he can, can easily bully. Exactly. Dipper. And then like dip when Dipper tries to stand up for himself a little later, Ronnie challenges him to a fight. Yes. You know, and there's, well, so I will rant about this later, but there's some interesting and sort of poorly resolved, in my opinion, like questions of how gender expectations. So rather than in Mabel's words, his little or his twin sister, um, hating each other secretly like girls do, um, they decide to fight like men do. You can definitely tell this was written by Zach Paez and Alex Hirsch. Yeah, for sure. Dipper has decided that he's going to, like, duck the fight. Like, Ronnie's going to meet him at the park, and they're going to fight, but Dipper's just going to not go until he goes back to that arcade cab that he was at before and discovers a secret inscription on the side of it. I love the Gravity Falls universe because there is this fantastical secret inscription is, like, totally par for the course for the rest of the show. That, for sure, yeah. Like, there, there's... I appreciate that... Spoiler, kind of a spoiler they never really go to too much of an effort to explain like why things happen there it just kind of happens there there there's magic stuff everywhere in this town and it's weird and bizarre and there's some reasons but not really but also just like magic stuff happens Ta-da! <laughs> exactly exactly right. yeah and putting in basically the konami code yeah uh dipper is able to summon rumble mcskirmish to fight at his side who is so good do you have the voice actor for rumble because i was trying to place him and i couldn't and i can look this up but the voice performance by rumble is just so good and so funny putting like this combination of street fighter character like line blurbs but also in with what feels like really to me like really terrible English dubs of bad anime, mm-hmm. like that cadence of clearly translated poorly and without any care or interest in syntax from Japanese to English. Like winners don't lose. Right. Like yeah, I mean that is a sentence technically, <laughs> but also what? <laughs> um, perfectly nailed that the the voice performance, but also the writing on him does absolutely slay me it's so good so rumble is voiced by brian keith bloom 
who I think he sounds pretty different in this role than he does in his others because you might recognize that he uh, played Varric in the Dragon Age series. Oh, uh, okay, that's yeah. But he's got more of a growl when, when he plays Varric, right. I think. Fan favorite, fan favorite, uh, beloved author, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so they they run through a bunch of the the video game jokes with uh, Rumble and Dipper, and meanwhile, uh, Dipper's friend slash coworker Seuss. Uh, gets stuck in an arcade machine, which you might have noticed is Nort, which is backwards for Tron. Nor- yeah, yeah. The the game is real. Seuss is Seuss is a a bit of a punching bag sometimes, but he is actually one of my favorite characters in the entire show because he is lovably stupid and dopey, and very sweet. And he gets him, I think, a moment to shine in a later episode about video games that maybe we'll explore some other time. Ooh, yeah. But he's dealing with that, and there's another B-plot with, like, Stan and Mabel, but for the purposes of this segment, we're going to kind of bypass that and keep following Dipper and Rumble, and they go and confront Ronnie at the park, and uh, in a very Disney way, Rumble uh, whoops Ronnie's ass. Like, like aggressively, Dipper then very quickly realizes, so it's interesting, he gets so excited that he has the greatest fighter as as his bodyguard, because he's still taking this tact of like, I'm going to shirk this fight, I just have a tougher way to shirk this fight, which is, I can point to the strong guy, and he'll run away, and I'll have won the fight without having to fight at all. Uh, and then quickly realize, realizes the error in his ways when Rumble, like, goes ham and unleashes all of his Hadouken-adjacent powers. And I can – I'm going to call my shot here that they had some meeting about what you can and can't do to Ronnie. And, like, you can't have him get punched in the face, which is why he dodges the punch. But then, like, oh, you can, like, throw him 50 feet in the air because that's not imitatable. You could have him get hit by a fireball because that's not imitatable. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I think that's probably 100% true. Also, the punch in the face moment is saved as the, like, final hero moment by Dipper. Spoiler alert for later in the episode. But, yeah, I think there's – it is a comical beating up. I will say that he probably just dodge – so many things. Like, he's actually shockingly nimble for, Very like... Slippery. Very slippery. Oh, wavy, hormonal, sad boy. Much more much more nimble than those I've known in my days. <laughs> he, he's done a lot of thrashing to build up his cardio. Yeah, I think that you've got to learn in the... You know, when you're in the pit and people are throwing bows, you got to be careful and you got to learn how to dodge out of the way. Oh, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, he he manages to get the crap beat out of him, but not as badly as it should have been. He should have been actually murdered. And right before what appears to be the actual murder would take place, Dipper steps back in and admits that he was lying to Rumble. (laughs) With my favorite, one of my favorite lines, which is that while Dipper is trying to explain to Rumble in the beginning why he needs him to act as his bodyguard, Rumble then assumes that the reason why he they are rivals is because Robbie killed his father, which to which Dipper said no, that didn't happen. And then there is confusion, and he just went, "Yeah, he, yeah, sure, he killed my father." So that was the lie the whole time was that this absurd again anime like rivalry plot um, that he just went with it because pixels cannot see reason, right, or subtlety. <laughs> And Rumble searches deep within his polygonal or no pixelated soul 
and decides that Dipper is the source of evil in this world and that Dipper must be vanquished. He is the final boss. And then Dipper and Rumble get into a fight. And they run through a bunch more uh, genre jokes. Yes. Like uh, Dipper climbs up into a tree and Rumble can't find him or see him anymore. It's so good. But at the end, uh, you know, Dipper is just no match for this hulking titan and ends up getting beaten up pretty bad. He truly accepts the nonviolent answer. Which, because, and honestly, so this is funny, and this is why I think that the some of the gendered expectation plot lines are are kind of explored but not as much as they should be so the answer that the reason why dipper gives in and gets the crap beat out of himself is he realizes that if game game over means rumble is gone um so he takes that final punch in the face in order to lose the battle but ultimately like i'm gonna hate i hate myself already but win the war <laughs> hey that, that that's what happens though kick me off the podcast i deserve it and then uh thanos snaps his fingers and rumble is obliterated he doesn't feel very good no he doesn't say that but but it's implied yeah um, but then, yes he defeats him with the power of nonviolence. and then uh dipper and ronnie as like the denouement have a uh, moment where they reconcile and are like we'll just hate each other silently they'll hate each other like girls do yeah what i mean I guess we'll get into that in a second, but yeah. Yeah. No, but that is actually the way that, that, that is just specifically discussed. When Dipper suggests it, I was like, wait, like girls? And he's like, yeah. That is the way it is framed in the movie, or in the show. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, Shelby, why don't we rate this episode on three different categories? So as always, we're going to use a scale of 6 to 10, as you would in any proper uh, video game review. And so we have accuracy condescension and entertainment so we'll start off with accuracy from a scale of six where it's completely inaccurate to a scale of 10 extremely accurate how would you rate fight fighters think carefully 10 come on this is so good (laughs) there's so many different references they're so good some of them are so they're so specific again my favorite one is that they are walking dipper and rumble are walking on the street and Rumble inexplicably has a lead pipe and Dipper asks where he got it. And he says, Rumble says, I punched a crate. And then Dipper says, the trash on the street is really dangerous. Mm -hmm. And that is so good to me. Like there's just so many different references in there too. And they, it feels very accurate. And there is, there's this interesting question of, I think that it brings up within video games of part of, I think part of, especially for younger folks, um, you see the things that your favorite video game characters do, and it's like, oh, man, how cool would it be to be able to, like, fight like Chun-Li fights? Like, that would be so amazing. It wouldn't. You'd murder people all the time, and you'd have no moral subtlety. or like. So it's this interesting discussion of how game morality and game mechanics and game strength translates into the real world. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm 10 all the way. It's So the ac- the game's get a 10 but it's weird because like also it's not accurate at all because like rumble jumps out of the of the game and this is my show so i'm gonna be a pedant and it's alternately a 10 and like a minus five because those things can't happen well neither can getting stuck in a video game that will kill you if you don't if you lose all three of your lives in this vr game okay that's true also so i will say though you know what yes it can do you know why why magic 
because Gravity Falls is full of weird, culty magic and magic. But yeah, it's it's ten. It's yeah, ten, of course. Yeah, uh, I I think my favorite reference is they have uh, Rumble beat up the car as they're passing by. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and I didn't realize. I always thought that the guy said, "Oh my god." But I think he actually does say, oh, my car. That's no, he not, does like, say, censored. oh, my car, because it writes it on the screen. Yeah, because it's like that mini animation at the end of the bonus round. So, yeah, he beats the, oh, my gosh, it's so good. And then they subvert it, and they're like, oh, we'll just buy you a new one. I love being rich, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we got condescension. So if you found this to be not condescending at all towards games, give it a 6. If you found it to be extremely condescending, give it a 10. Um. So... I would say I'm I I'm gonna go. I don't know why. I feel like I need to hedge this slightly with like a nine point five. I don't think it's condescending. Like I think it is a love letter to playing games and loving games. Um, and again, what can you do if you bring those power? Like, what could you do if you could get help from a game character? Um, but I don't know. There's something about it that feels slightly off to me not bad just like slightly off so i'm gonna go with a 9.5 for the thing that i can't name the gender dynamics i'd give a negative seven but that's another discussion for another podcast i would give it uh i think i'd give it an eight like i think the it's you know it's presented as a thing for kids because the children a children's television show but uh, like no one else no one really seems above it like Ronnie and Wendy are happy to be there. The kids are happy to be there. Seuss is happy to be there. Yeah. Though I will say, so that actually does, Seuss is an interesting point, right? Because he is there because he he is showing them around because he loves the arcade and is talking about all of the games that he used to love and loves playing now. Also, Seuss got stuck in a not Tron machine, which is not only physically impossible, but like, very much the like dumb guy trope and he is the introduction to being in the video game space so maybe that's like some of that of like why would you not realize why would you not realize the game you're playing the character that comes out of it isn't going to understand subtlety like why do you think he's not going to beat up the guy when he's from a beat up game like so maybe that's where some of my hesitation is coming from Mm -hmm. but and uh lastly entertainment if you found this to be completely unentertaining give it a six if you found it to be extremely entertaining, give it a 10. So if the entire episode was about Mabel, it would get a 10 because Mabel is the greatest character ever to exist. Uh, no, I, I I enjoy this episode. I think it's funny. There's a lot of good references. Um, I like, I really enjoy Dipper's character. And I like, part of the reason why I like him is because I feel like I relate very specifically from when I was younger to this like kind of dour, 13 going on 30 like too old in his head kid trying to navigate the world um and so moments where dipper like finds himself and understands more like i really enjoy i really enjoy those stories from the show gravity falls um overall um the video game references are super fun it's a very silly mechanic it's also a really nice way to resolve one of the more irritating B plot lines, which is this animosity between Dipper and Robbie about both of them. Robbie's dating Wendy and Dipper wants to, but it's a little weird because he's like 12 and she's 15 or 16. And um, that 
that kind of tension over a girl, which Wendy hates, which is one of the things I love about the show. But it's an it's a good resolution for that over the course of um, over the course of the first season, but like with a very fun candy coating. So I'll give it a nine. I think I'll go with I'll go with a nine too. I uh, I did like the game references a lot. I did think you know because it's a kid's show uh, i thought some of them were a little on the nose or like a little like you know the, like we're just gonna hit every major note you would expect to hit like they have the donkey kong thing the street fighter thing mm-hmm. and like you know it's fine though it, it's not meant for me i'm an adult uh, and then i did think that the, like the the ideas of the conflict resolution and the like the gender stuff were a little weird like it, it was i mean i think that's something that a lot of shows are like trying to struggle with and like the current the current era like how do we teach conflict resolution where it's not always correct to just like roll over to a bully or like just eat it you know right yeah they they get really close to it right because i think the the point of the episode at the end is that the fighting was never the right solution and that finding a different way to handle it is better than the physical violence but gendering it the whole time and putting like reinforcing this notion for dudes that they they always have to physically fight or ex- or express this sort of rage and anger and women are passive aggressive and catty and lie to each other about their feelings like both of those are they're they're not a healthy resolution they got so close to a healthy resolution which is hey boys deal with it yourselves but realize that like this is not a real conflict and just shut up and deal with it. But not. But the gendering it was just like, ugh, Grunkle Stan is really, can be really frustrating as a mouthpiece because he'll say things that they don't fully address or condemn that are supposed, I think maybe supposed to be implied that they're wrong or bad because Grunkle Stan is sort of a terrible yeah. He's person. I was going to say like role model, but just sort of person. Um, but they don't always do a great job of making it clear that that's true. Mm-hmm. Like they're in the ballpark. Like they, they made Robbie a awful teenager, but mm-hmm. not like a completely awful person. He right. like reserves him. He doesn't beat Dipper up. He's like, yeah, that would be a bad thing to do, actually. Yeah. In yeah. The, in the end. Yeah, there's a reason why when he jumps up on the water tower with Mabel and Grunkle Stan, that Mabel says, "Do I smell? What did you say? Angst and hormones?" Yeah. And then he appears. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, he's a crappy teenager. Like, yeah, that's that's true so it gets it gets close it's not enough to ruin it for me because there's some resolution that makes it better at the end that like the the non-physical violence way ultimately is the best way for them to handle this problem but it's still like man it's it just misses the mark enough that i'm like oh yeah i'm not watching steven universe honestly that's how i feel it's like okay that's i have slightly higher expectations than maybe i should yeah i mean it, it's tough that like i think you see it a little bit yeah just because like there are, there are two dudes that wrote this like it's just not a diverse enough palette of people maybe maybe there are more people in the room when this is being put together i don't know maybe but it gets close though so i'll give it yeah. credit for getting close and they do better at some of the stuff than others for sure mm-hmm. and i think that brings our screen watching segment to an end shelby but before we get to my interview with gabriel uh there is something we gotta handle can i grow a third arm i 
I don't know. You said magic was in the world, so. No, in that world. No, but there is magic in this world, and, and there's a gathering of magic. Yes, there is, and it's Christmas. No, well, this is a different kind of magic. Uh, Like David Blaine, like floating in place? Think more cardboard. Uh, Cardboard-based magic. So like card tricks. Yes, like card tricks. Okay, like, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, yeah, magic. Magic the Gathering. Like a gathering of people to see a magic show. Yes, exactly. Makes sense. I've seen that. Okay, so for Bill's Magic Minute, I'm going to be talking about magic on a predetermined topic. This week I'm going to be talking about Ultimate Masters. And Shelby's going to help out because she's going to time me and also determine how much time I have with a roll of 3d20. I've never wanted to crit fail three times so bad. Just because I want to see what happens if you have to do it in three seconds. Dang it. 34 seconds. That's a better than average roll. Thank you, Shelby. You are not welcome. Okay, hold on. Let me get my timer. And Okay, I am ready when you are. I am ready. Go. Ultimate La- Ultimate Masters is going to be the last uh, premium set that apparently they're going to do for a while. And they're kind of going all out in terms of the card value. It's just too bad that they added a price to the packs and to the boxes to make it like so much more unaffordable than most master sets already are. Usually they retail for like $240. This one's going to retail for maybe over $300 depending on the demand. And they tend to be some of the best draft experiences out there. And it's very uncommon that you even get to play them more than once in a paper environment because there's just no opportunity. Nice. I mean, you know. You suffered, but you endured. Luckily, I was mostly just trying to figure out how to do numbers in sign language again. But And then I realized you didn't know it. And then I realized that the Magic Minute was over. It was actually great distraction for me. Is sign language using a different nomenclature for numbers than just fingers? Uh, it uses fingers, but you have to be able to do it with one hand. Uh, so when you get past, So when you get past five... You go six, seven, eight, nine, ten, which they can't see, but you oh. make basically okay symbols, but with your pinky through your forefinger, and then ten is just a thumbs up shake or with a little shake to it. Gotcha. All yeah. right. Well, and that was Shelby's sign language minute. <laughs> just kidding. It was very short. <laughs> well, we'll come back with more talk of sign language and games we've been playing after our interview on Stone Story RPG. Bye, I'll miss you. And we are back from break. Uh, Joining me on this palatial VoIP line from across the United States, I have Gabriel Santos, Gabriel is the CEO of Martian Rex and the lead developer of Stone Story RPG. Thank you so much for joining me on the line tonight. So uh, we initially met actually at uh, at PAX East in uh, 2000, I think, uh, 17. Yeah. Yeah, back then uh, the game was still in somewhat early development. It was the mini booth. Uh, but, you know, at, at the time... Uh, one thing that uh, it feels like sets apart a lot of uh, independent games is a very stark artistic style. And I mean, I don't think you'll find more of a unique artistic style than with Stone Story RPG. We still kept the same style since back then, but it's uh, matured a bit more. It's more polished. And I think especially on the animation side, um, you don't see really ASCII art 
animated at 30 frames per second. So we wanted to take that since that was so eye-catching and really take it to the next level. And that's what we've done in the last two years. So I was I was reading a little bit about uh, your background and your history with text-based art. Can you just tell the listener a little bit about ASCII and where it comes from and why you chose to use that as your kind of uh, canvas? Well, ASCII art is a style that was developed in the early 90s a lot uh, as an art form. I think because people couldn't really send pictures over the internet back then, so they would send um, ASCII art instead. And when you could finally send images and then later GIFs and video, then um, ASCII art sort of disappeared or or at least uh, stopped being developed, except for some uh, some developments in some developments in, uh, for example, uses of Asian uh, Asian alphabet to do some stuff you couldn't do before, uh, and with Unicode, um, a lot of the restrictions were lifted on what was technically possible. With Stone Story, I wanted to go back closer to the roots of ASCII and. The table is hard set on a 256 character or glyph limit, um, which is similar to what the DOS uh, operating system had back then. So it has those those box drawing symbols along with the uh, with the Latin alphabet and some Greek letters uh, thrown into the mix. The place where I would always see ASCII art is uh, when looking at a fac for different video games. A lot of people would add like ASCII art or like title cards to the uh, to the fact because I think they were limited in like the amount of formatting they could use on like game facts, for example. Um, there's been other games that have used ASCII art, such as I think Dwarf Fortress is probably one of the most famous ones. Um, it's a little different though with uh, so so they use they they do they make great use of ASCII art in Dwarf Fortress, but it's important for delivery of data. So you're able to, with the colors and the glyphs, really pack a lot of information in, and it's a very information-dense game. Uh, Snow Story is a lot lighter on the information. It's more uh, it's more of a aesthetic choice. So the lines are, are clearer. There's uh, less information. Uh, it's more minimalistic. Uh, it's also a sort of an isometric perspective. It's not like the, it's not a grid based top down. It's a sideways view. So a little different. It looks almost like 2.5D. Like it's, it's got depth to it. Yes. And that's something that has been developed more recently, a lot more. I've been using um, gradient variations to, to deliver depth. And I've also learned that uh, because th- there are many frames to the animation, right? There's like a 30 frames per second uh, animation. Uh, you can deliver just part of the information in each frame. Uh, each frame doesn't have to contain all the information, but the brain pieces it all together and you see the depth through. So, so you're able to get away with a, a delivering a lot more detail in the same amount of space, very a cramped, uh, cramped symbol space. Just for clarity, you are the sole animator on this game, right? That's true. Yeah. Could you give an estimate, just for the for the listener's sake, of how many how many hours it's taken to animate up until this point? I haven't kept diligent track of that, but I would say that let's say a cinematic 
scene will take th that is uh, about two minutes long will take 20 hours to make 20 hours to animate so it's not that much actually um it's certainly a lot faster than stop motion and some other animation techniques um it's it's sort of equivalent to pixel art in terms of effort to make if the listener is familiar with um, other animation processes or pixel art it, it actually is similar to other animation process it's just that ascii is is the paint that is used here if you see what i mean you've been documenting your progress all along right uh, i noticed that you've got a, a 53 page thread on the tig forums or like which is like short for the independent gamer right right so i have a devlog that i've been that i i kept i've been keeping since the very beginning of the project on tig source and um that's pretty big but recently i've migrated more towards discord and using that to like leave notes or like converse directly with fans or people interested in the game right yeah so the discord channel it's got over 300 people now and it's really cool because i can let's say i'm so tonight i'm starting a new boss fight for example contextualize so i i have some keyframes already the boss has been already concepted out but he doesn't have maybe it's missing some some of the animations in the fight like a f phase two of the fight or something like that and i can very quickly sketch that out do a couple of keyframes post that in the discord uh channel and the people can comment give opinion um this this boss doesn't have a name yet so the the name is something i'm going to ask people to suggest if somebody has a good idea based on what he looks like and i can give us a, a small um backstory to the character as well what you think we could call him so I collect a bunch of name ideas. Sometimes the resulting name is a combination of two different ideas. That happens a lot. So it's a pretty cool process. It's very iterative and interactive with the players. And we had a closed beta uh, that, that ended just uh, a month ago, or a month and a half ago. So a lot of people have, most of the people in the Discord channel have played the game. They're already familiar with it mechanically. So they're able to give informed feedback on the new ideas that are still missing at, at the very end of the development. Now, now, one thing that stands out to me, having played the game a little bit and having watched it, uh, the character, your character, moves on their own. How early on did you make that decision to go with that? That was very early. Um, I put together a prototype back in 2014 where it was just the main character with one weapon that you would already come, it was like a, a machine gun axe that you would get and you would upgrade that along various stat lines. It was a very simple game. And I sent that to some, to some friends. Nobody really said anything against the, um, the self-movement, the, the AI. Like people didn't find a problem with it and were, um, were pointing out other things about the game or we're giving other ideas. So that's usually a good sign. Like when nobody says anything, it means it often means that it's good or good enough. So I was happy with that. Uh, that idea comes from, um, you know how in, in MMOs or in other, especially online RPGs, people will 
automate the grinding. You know, we'll write scripts and bots and stuff like that. And lots of times companies frown upon that. So here I wanted to create a game that is an RPG. It's uh, a bit like Diablo, but it's got a bot that comes pre-built into the game for you. So everybody gets a bot to do the grinding for you. And uh, in the testing, in the beta tests, when people have, some players have gone further and automated a few things. For example, when you had a lot of treasure chests accumulated, um, somebody wrote a script to open all the treasure chests. So I just went and added that to the game as well. So when possible, I'll improve the bot based on feedback. Now you mentioned Diablo. Did you have, was that one of your favorite RPGs or is that one of your favorite RPGs? Not really anymore, but when I was younger um, and learning game development, one of my early projects was trying to clone Diablo, and then I quickly learned how difficult it was to uh, make a game like that. So I think now that I know what I'm doing, Stone Story is my take on what a Western RPG done by one person looks like. Now, one thing the game, I guess I would say similar but different from Diablo, you, you accumulate a lot of items, but the way you use the items is a lot different in stone story uh how did you uh come up with the idea to have the uh, items kind of combine in unusual ways so that's that's based on an old web game called little alchemy uh, it was always a game that's that stood out to me as a deconstruction of game design in that game you start with just the four elements like fire air water and earth and you keep combining them and your goal is to find all the possible combinations. So in the beginning, every combination that you try, and you're always combining two things together, every combination that you try always results in something, and it gets harder and harder to find uh, new combinations because you can take the resultant combinations and combine them with each other and stuff like that. So it, you, your pool of possibilities grows, uh, and your, your number of of outcomes diminishes just naturally. So it seemed like a really clever design. And I wanted to, I was looking for an opportunity to incorporate that into a full game. And I feel like this was the right choice. So in Stone Story, you take, you start with basic items like a sword and a shield, and you can combine them together to make a different item. And then you can take that and combine that with something else in your inventory uh, balloons into all sorts of stuff. Uh, and they're all useful in different situations can you reveal one publicly known combination that you're particularly proud of i think the dashing shield was recently one that i added uh that gives you what feels a bit like an activated ability so um the dashing shield makes you dash forward and, en and engage so it's a gap closer which can be really useful if you have a, a melee oriented loadout so you can use that in combination with a sword or something like that. So um, it making the dashing shield was a craft that was sort of obvious. It filled a slot that uh, that was available at the very base of the crafting tree, and uh, it was a really good addition. Now with the different item combinations and the fact that based on those combinations, different encounters could play out differently, do you expect people to come back to the game multiple times, uh, like that there would be a, a replayability to that? For sure, there's a lot of replayability. Um, some people have played the beta hundreds of hours, and that was only a few months. So I thought that was pretty cool. 
there's a you know if you're the kind of player that just wants to play through the main story arc that's fine you can play the game that way but if you want to keep going after that there's content for you as well there's higher difficulty levels uh, the gear keeps progressing there's enchantments you can place on your items um, and there's different combinations so if you're trying to for example beat a certain level at higher difficulty you're going to need specific gear for that level because of the dynamics of the enemies in that location but in other locations you're going to need different gear so it sort of uh, pushes you in all these different directions and you have to make decisions and that's really what the game is all about is about this progression and having to make these decisions about how you want to progress your gear. Awesome. And could there be maybe a uh, an extremely difficult boss waiting there at the end that would require a very either specific or very well-refined combination? Perhaps. I think uh, the harder bosses will be the ones where you have to have reaction time. Um, that's something that might still need to be developed a little bit more. For one thing, I'm not sure if that's good for the game. But what I mean is the boss uh, switches patterns, right? And you have to switch your gear. And that's already part of the game, but it's not crucially important at this stage. It could be something that I push more towards or less towards, depending on how the next phase of testing goes. Could you imagine continuing to work with ASCII on a future project or would you wish to uh, work in a different kind of graphics platform? I mean, I would like to leverage some of the technology that I've developed for Stone Story into a a couple of other games after this. Um, But I've done a lot of other games before that are non-ASCII. Definitely not restricted or if anything, the project has made me appreciate ASCII art even more, but I would like to perhaps take some time to improve my tools so that um, it's more productive for the next project. So I have a couple of ideas for different games that I'd like to make. So I have seen some links to Pyramid Builder uh, online. Are, is, there a, is there a place where people can find your other previous work? Uh, perhaps on like itch.io? Yeah, on itch.io you can find Pyramid Builder. That was a game jam game. It's, a, it's fun. It's, it's fun for an hour or two. Uh, it's, a, it's a short game. Um, sadly, with with digital distribution, most software just ceases to exist. Uh, so my previous work is harder to access. Can, would you mind elaborating on that? Just like because it's hard to. Well, so for example, I made uh, Mountain Goat Mountain was my my last published game that that did all right, and um, it was published by Zynga, and for some reason, it's not available anymore on the App Store. And I don't, I don't work there. Uh, I don't know what happened. They just pulled it from the store. So, you know, that's their right to do that. But uh, I, I was a little upset by that, that I'm no longer able to download it. I have it on my phone, so if I switch phones, I won't be able to put it on my next one, unless I download like some uh, pirate APK somewhere. <laughs> that's kind of crazy, though. Like I have heard some like people speculate that 20 years from now you won't like be looking for a a retro nintendo at a garage sale you'll be looking for a retro iphone 5 with a certain os on it that lets you run exactly (laughs) yeah like 
and it has this game installed on it, right? And it's already it's like a a legacy. This specific device is the only one or one of the few that has that game on it. <laughs> There's no other way to get it. <laughs> well, people will find ways to reverse engineer and fetch the data out, I'm sure. Gabriel, there is one last question I did want to ask you. Um, this is a question I ask of all my guests because I, I feel like there's a general knowledge of Pokemon among most gamers. Uh, if you could pick one Pokemon to be your pet, one Pokemon that you could be, and one Pokemon that you would eat, uh, which would they be? Oh, man. Um... That's a tough one. Well, you can take uh, a couple minutes to think about it. I guess I'd be uh, Snorlax and just sleep all day. That could be cool if you're a Pokemon and those are your choices. And have Pikachu be your pet and go around and do the work. Okay, so Pikachu to be your pet and to be Snorlax. Um, let's see here. I guess I'd eat a Magikarp. Hey, that's uh, probably a tasty fish. I, I have no problem with that. Or, you know, go crazy. Uh, Giratus. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. <laughs> uh, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's Gyarados. That one's got to be re- really expensive to, to buy a Gyarados meat. Well, you can feed a lot of people. That's true. That's true. That, that raises some dark questions, though, of like, do you evolve a Pokemon so it grows in size and then... You use that as the the livestock. Well, that's even darker. Like you have to f- put them to fight each other so they level up first, right? And then and then you can. Yeah, Pokemon is a bit unethical when you start thinking about it. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, if, Gabriel. If there's any place you want people to find you online, or if they want to uh, get updates on the progress on Stone Story RPG, where can they find you? Well, I guess the if you just Google. Um, Stone Story RPG, you'll find it, but um, either Twitter or the Discord server, uh, or just wishlisted on Steam. Those are the three main places where people have been following. So I'm on Twitter, or there's the Discord server. They're all linked together. The links are all in each other. Is there a Stone Story account, or is it at Standard Combo on Twitter? Yes, Standard Combo is my online handle. Okay, awesome. Well, in that case, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. And we are back. So just uh, once again, you can look for Stone Story RPG to be out in like early to mid uh, 2019. I think that's the current plan for it. It'll be out on like PC, and then it looks like the plan is to bring it out on mobile later. But you know, just give them time. It's it's basically one dude doing all this, so you know, give him a moment. Give him a break, you jerks. And even if you aren't looking to play the game, you should check out the artwork and like some of the like the game in action because it's it's ASCII art. It's like a game oh. animated to look like ASCII. Cool. So yeah, it's a very unique uh, setup that I haven't. There, I've seen a couple other places, but this is like the best implementation by far. That's awesome. Hey, Shelby. Hi, Bill. What you playing? Um, so surprise, 
audience on playing Overwatch, um, which I there is some news about. But I did want to say one thing I highlighted that I remembered I have been playing since the last time we talked. Um, and that is the Stardew Valley port uh, iOS. And so now I own Stardew Valley on three different systems. So that's iOS, PS4. I, yeah, and Switch. Okay. Just I also own sure. it on Switch. I did not buy it on Steam because I never play PC or on our laptop, but I probably would. We actually might own it there. You no. probably do if you have like some humble bundle or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty easy to come across. Um, but no, as soon as it came out on iOS, um, I knew I needed to pick it up. At the very least, because I want to support porting those games over to mobile. Um, and partially because I wanted to see how it ported. I was really, really curious. Um, especially once they patched the game. Bef- originally, you couldn't listen to anything else while you played the game. It would force quit your podcast or your music. Ooh, that's no good. That was really frustrating, especially for a game like Stardew. Um, but uh, once they patched that out, they've been adding little patches. Um, there's definitely some interesting um, – they've had to change some of the ways that you move around, some of the movement mechanics, um, but I think they've done it in a pretty smart way. There's some stuff that's a little frustrating still by not having a cursor and having to do full touch screen, but generally speaking, it's still pretty playable. Um, one of the things that I love that came in a later patch that I think is really, really crucial is that unlike the game – functions on consoles and i'm assuming on you know steam as well you can pause at any time so for me that's perfect if i hop on and play 10 minutes while i'm on the bus i can pause it and if i don't play it on the train for the second half of my commute i'll be halfway through my day i can hop back in on my commute home yeah it makes it a little bit easier to like pick up in short bursts where before if you didn't finish a whole day just like in standard star or stardew if you didn't finish a whole day and you didn't go to sleep you lose that day when the game, like when the app, if the app closes. Oh, that's okay. That's so it's good. frustrating. Um, and you can theoretically leave the app open in the background, but it's going to refresh after a while. So yeah. it, that was a little frustrating, but they did patch that out. They've been really responsive. It seems like to community feedback about things that need to be fixed and patched. And so lots of little bugs have been changed. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I am contemplating who to romance. You know, I'm just really not sure. I I have my favorites. I think I need to branch out a little bit. Um, How about Abby? Um, yeah, she's she's pretty high on my list. I've gotten so she is one of the characters. I've gotten to the final cutscene before marriage, like the very final cutscene with five different characters. Oh gosh! In different capacities, I was oh, a real boy. play. My big playthrough, I was a role player, and I romance like for I think four different people pretty much all the way to the full hearts um and then i married harvey but i went through a couple of them and so i have some that i really love but i'm curious to take a couple other people further through to completion and and see what their stories look like um yeah it's start if you haven't played stardew valley yet like what are you it's so good it's just such a good game it shouldn't be it should be incredibly boring but it's so good Maybe I have to give it another try. I have it on my Switch. I played it a little bit. It is one of those things, I think once you get in a rhythm of the game, and especially my biggest advice to people, if you either didn't love it or you haven't played it yet, is to play a farm or start a farm, play through a season, and then scrap that save file and start over again. Because I think the game is easy. Like, Granted, you lose some of that, like, 
you know, living with your mistakes and trial and error and things. But I found the game really pleasant. I played for a little while and then I quit and I started again with a different farm basis. But I, I knew how the game worked. Like I got a little bit more information about um, rotating crops and thinking about the best way to handling it, handle it and splitting up, you know, how I spend my time and I I found it better when I could get a little bit closer to min-maxing but still not like absolutely crazy manipulating the game um that's my personal that's my personal advice it worked really well for me but I I love it it's very relaxing it's very sweet the soundtrack is immaculate I love every single song on the soundtrack um all the characters are great they're very strange and weird it's a very oddly funny game sometimes it's it's very very good um but yeah it's it's you get it on ios and i think it's, it's i actually think they're going to be porting it to android if they haven't already so um and then so between that has been played the most and then overwatch um which very exciting today so as we were recording today on tuesday uh the newest character ash has been released um for comp play so she was in um she was fully released into the game, but only available in Quick Play and Arcade. She is now available in Comp. She is the leader of the Deadlock Gang, which is the game that McCree came from originally. She is incredibly hot and a robot butler named Bob, who has a mustache and a little bowler hat and does not talk, is her alt. Bob is the greatest thing to happen to Overwatch. He's perfect. He is my child, and I love him. Um, she's a really interesting DPS character. I think she's she is going to add some. She's she's going to make some characters even more relevant than they are currently. Um, but she is she I think is going to come out the gate being pretty strong, um, which is unusual for them. A lot of times, yeah, new hero new heroes take some time. So like just now, Doomfist is finding purchase as a useful DPS. It took like six months for us to figure out how to play him. Like I know that happened with Anna at first, but then like I remember uh, Brigitte was so OP. Brig was pretty OP at front. She's one of the only ones that I think was a hundred percent strong, and people had an idea of what to do with her right away. Now, granted, that happened, and then the community like delete Brigitte is is the rallying cry of a lot of people. So I think it's interesting to see what. Um, I wonder how Ash is going to be handled in the community, right? So everyone thought Doomfist was meh and now they're really understand now granted they hate him because he's his insta kill potential but he there's usefulness for him Sombra went through the same process Arissa definitely went through the process she was um pretty useless quote unquote at first and and has now grown into a pretty comfortable tank mainstay um especially on ladder not necessarily in the pro scene but definitely on ladder um but yeah, so I, I think Ash is going to be pretty strong out the gate. I'm curious how they're going to tweak her long term as she's in competitive. But um, all hail Bob. Bob is the greatest. Bob has a tiny hat. Are there any characters that like were around from the beginning that were like powerful for a while that have like totally dropped off? McCree used to be a lot stronger than he was. Um, he's a pretty good at this point. He is fairly replaceable pretty much across the board unless you've really played with him a long time and you 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 are best at him um soldier is soldier aka standard shooter character number seven um is pretty he's fine he was fairly strong in a fairly standard dps for a while but honestly his utility is fairly you just don't see him as often anymore um trying to think of other characters that were um 
I mean, Mercy is a perfect example of. Now, granted, that was after she got like nerfed a lot. Right? She got nerfed into the well. She got nerfed into the ground, and then she was strong in different ways. And then they kept nerfing her, and they just don't know what to do with her as a character, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I think some of the other characters, uh, there's definitely been more consistency of uh, some of the characters have been more consistent. They've either consistently been super niche or like meh, or they've been like Tracer or Genji, just like strong from the beginning without any changes really needed. Um, so we haven't seen as many people become irrelevant, more irrelevant, but I think Soldier and McCree are probably the two best examples. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. McCree's a great character. He's as a character, he's a cool design, but his utility is just, you know, it's mixed compared to the rest of the thing. And Soldier is just so jack of all trades that he's not actually that good at any one particular thing. I buy that. Yeah. But there are better choices. And I think Ash is going to be a better standard um dps hit scan choice for most people bob's the alt is so strong and if it rewards good aim i mean that's the thing is a character like um if you can aim well she's really powerful also she's really hot voiced by jennifer hale oh by fem shep my love um yes she is incredibly attractive the character design in her is dope actually fun fact about her um that i learned from blizzcon this year so they premiered a short at BlizzCon um, about McCree. Mm-hmm. And Ash is, was he, McCree and Ash and some other folks started the gang that, that Ash is the head of. Um, and they did not intend on making her a character in the game. She was not planned before the short. They made the short and they were like, oh, Ash is amazing. We have to make her into a hero. It went the other direction. So normally it'll go, they need to find a way to introduce a new character. But no, Ash was, Ash was, came explicitly out of the fact that they loved her so much in the short. They loved her aesthetically. There was no, there's, um, she's got a repeating rifle. No guns like that existed in the game. Um, Bob was such a great character. Like there was so many, so much cool potential there that they, they plucked her out of the cinematic and put her in the game. Awesome. Very cool. I did not know that. Yeah. Fun facts from, from Papa Jeff. That might have actually been for Michael Chu, but regardless, still fun facts. <laughs> Bill, what are you playing? Well, I'm playing a few different things. Uh, I've been still poking away at Yeast 8. I played some more Tetris Effect, and I'm really starting to enjoy that. Yeah, I've been think Tetris has been, I feel like it's been popping up in my media a lot lately. Um, specifically, I think talking about the actual Tetris Effect like the psychological and physiological phenomenon, which is that when you close your eyes and you see the, um, the like blocks falling, um, that that is, they call that the, t- have you ever had that happen to you where you like, you play a game for so long that you're so in. Oh yeah. With the uh, guitar hero and rock band. Totally. Uh, seeing the track. Yeah. Scrolling down. DDR used to do that to me too. Um, but that's called the Tetris, Tetris effect. Ah, well, there you go. Okay. That, or that explains syndrome that. Syndrome or experience, but it's named after Tetris. But the, this this one like feels extra good, and it's making me like get better at Tetris in a way that I'd never tried to before. Like uh, one thing that's changed is like uh, you know the the straight line piece mm-hmm. always was like yes, this is the perfect piece. I love it. I can never get enough of it. It's like the way to finish up all your Tetrises. So it's great for that. When you get to the higher levels. Uh, and the speed goes up drastically. It's actually like a liability because it's just so hard to place it. Like, it's so long. It's long and yeah. it's hard to like get it accurately onto the board because like you have to like 
spot it coming in the next from like the next slot and then immediately like slam it to the left or right so it's not like gonna like disrupt the rest of your board or swap it to it or horizontal and just like leave it like that it's high risk high reward when you get higher up in the levels and i have been trying to finish journey mode on normal which is just like it's not really you know it's like playing it at various speeds various levels but with like different like music and skins going on and i'm on the last part where you have to clear like 90 lines at different speeds like it starts out at like 11 it drops down to 7 and then it goes up to like 13 and 13 is pretty close to like it's immediately just falling down from the top of the screen like there's like a you can keep the piece alive by spinning it on the top of the stack but that still is limited in what you can do with it that's hilarious and uh, of the 90 lines, I've gotten 87, 88, and 89 lines before I've failed now. Uh, and uh, it was tiring my eyes out, and I couldn't keep going anymore. I feel like that's a great, if you do have that like drive to win or drive to get better at something, especially with a game, that's such an interesting mechanic flip on Tetris, because Tetris fundamentally as a game, and this is not a new idea, again, I've heard for some reason like a bunch of podcasts have been talking about tetris lately um but that like as a game you never win tetris you just lose in a longer period of time than other people do where that one like there is a concrete win condition so there's something to really actively aspire towards rather than just like the amorphous idea of i've got to get i've got to be the best i could possibly be very true yeah i mean uh it's something that i maybe they've had it in other Tetris campaigns, like or other games have had Tetris campaigns that I'm not aware of, but this seems pretty unique to this version of Tetris. And then I haven't even tried it in VR yet, and I'm looking forward to that very much. So, so excited for you, and um, for me when I come over and play it. Yeah, yeah, you can try it. Yes, I'm excited to hear. So, one of the games that you mentioned for an upcoming game night that I've been, I've seen multiple times, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it more in theory than in practice. Or watching people play it is keep talking and nobody explodes. Yeah, yeah, that should be fun. Um, I do feel like that is a really good way to ruin a relationship. <laughs> um, but it's a cool, it's a really cool game. I'm yeah, I'm very pumped to try it. I have never tried it before at all, so this will be yeah, first shot at it. Yeah. And lastly, I've been playing this on stream a bunch, but uh, I like it a lot, and I just wanted to talk about it a little bit here. It's called Asura's Wrath. It's a game that came out for the uh, PS3 and 360 in, like, 2012, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's like God of War, except, like, imagine the, the stakes of God of War are ramped up, like, 100 times which is shocking that you can ramp those stakes up much more when you're like you know a god and fighting things like that you start out as asura who is one of the seven deities and they're like trying to keep the world from being overrun by demons but wait for it asura gets betrayed by his fellow deities <gasps> no they kill his wife they no! take his daughter who no! is the source of all the power this game is an anime by the way uh Duh. <laughs> kidnap his daughter to use as their power source and consign him to hell and so he has to crawl out of hell and come back and like you know beat up all the other gods this sounds story-wise like you combined god of war like the old God of War games and like Shadow of Colossus and like Dark Souls, but then made it an, made it anime. 
it is super anime and that like the best yes. part of that of this game is like how they kind of work game elements into like cutscenes and make it feel like an anime that you are playing like uh there's a like a spot where one of the guys is like taunting you and like going through this long speech about like how great he is and how much you suck and then uh, a prompt comes up at the top of the screen that says press y to shut wisen up and, and then do you just do, do you just punch him in the face or something yes you just punch him in the so face so good I love those cutscene. I feel like I the first time that I really played that that it was effective was in the Mass Effect games. There's moments where you can like, if you're paying attention to a cutscene, there are renegade or paragon moments you can like take where you can, you know, kiss your romance interest or punch someone in the face or like walk away dramatically, and that it feels so fun to have that choice as well. Definitely, yeah. Like Mass Effect and, and Bioware, they they're like they take it to the next level. I think compared to like what Osiris Wrath does, but. Uh, you know it's it's still effective here and like yeah. they, there are some other cute tricks which are good because the actual gameplay is not that great mm. like when they actually like leave it to you like it's pretty it can get boring which should never happen in this game like usually it'll just be like you get deposited in an area there are like five dudes you got to beat up all the dudes and you have it's like a pretty basic beat em up except also the frame rate's pretty bad mm. Is the story and like this absurd, over the top ridiculousness? Is it worth playing through the like subpar gameplay and quality of of game appearance? Yes, because nothing is lasting too long before you're moving on to like the next big thing happening. So you always have like another cool new thing to look forward to, or if you're not digging the thing that's happening, something new is going to come along pretty quickly. And like it's even paced like an anime where you'll have different episodes instead of levels and they even they even have commercial breaks and interstitials like you'll be like halfway through a boss fight and it'll like cut away to like Asura's wrath and it'll like show like a a still screenshot and an overlay and then it'll come back from break with another (laughs) screenshot and overlay oh my god that's fantastic it's like the best part about this game is like how into the aesthetic they are like aggressively into the aesthetic that's so good i love it i would uh recommend it if you have a chance to play it it's probably going to be like less than 10 bucks where you wherever you're buying it from just throw nickels at a GameStop and a copy of it'll pop out of a door pretty much and it's not that long it just the only issue is you can't play it on ps4 or xbox one it's not Mm. compatible on either you need to have one of the older generation systems to play it which if you've got one kicking around then go nuts if anyone ever complains to you about how a PS4's fan is too loud, an Xbox 360, like... I had one. I nearly blew it up playing Borderlands 2. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's it can be rough. Very much so. But that's what I've been playing. So uh, I think that brings this episode of So Many Bits to a close. Shelby, if you want people to find you, where can they find you? In their closets. Whoa. Creepy. No, um, so... Uh, social media wise, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Shelby underscore fun. Um, if you actually, I have something more IRL to plug, which is kind of exciting. Um, so if I was recently on my, uh, a dear friend of mine's podcast, um, She-Ra Progressive of Power, which is a show where they did a retrospective on the original She-Ra show and actually talked about the really interesting, um, political, like moral, um, social conversations that the original She-Ra show was having, um, which they have 
brought back due to the fantastic new She-Ra show on Netflix that everyone should watch. It's very, very good. Um, I was on the first episode of that as someone who had never seen the original She-Ra. So I got to be on that. So look for She-Ra Progressive of Power um, on anywhere they get podcasts. Um, and if you are in Chicago and are interested in kicking off my fiance and I taking over the storytelling show where Bill and I are frequent uh, storytellers and attendees, uh, your stories, we will be having a show um, on December 15th. Um, so fa- there's more information um, on Facebook if you look through the, uh, the Nerdalogs Facebook page. Looking forward to that. I will be there. And as for us, as for myself, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from YouTube, from Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays usually for Magic the Gathering Online or other card games. Thursdays for a wider variety of different games. Like we recently finished up a playthrough of Undertale and Deltarune. And now I've just been kind of kicking around with a bunch of different uh, games in my backlog, including Osiris Wrath. So stop by if you want to check out how that progresses. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. Good horns.